Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and the gift of your grace. We pray that as we um, discuss this topic of perseverance of the saints and the questions that some of the texts of the New Testament raise as to this doctrine, that we would be yielded to your spirit, that we would be hungry to know the truth of what you've promised to us in Christ, and that we would hold fast to that. Um, give us wisdom as we discuss it, we pray. Give us hearts that are open to uh, maybe some correction, um, maybe to uh, being challenged in how we pursue um, our relationship with you. But in all things, we pray that Christ be glorified, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we are uh, back at it after a month <laughs> on the five points of Calvin. This is the last, last one. Uh, we, we've talked about perseverance of the saints. We're going to look at some objections, some concerns over the doctrine of uh, perseverance. Yes, it's right here. Wait. It's over there. Um, and so, since it's been a while, I thought it would be uh, probably good to do uh, a little review over the definitions that we've done so far. We've, we've actually gotten all of the... Um, all of the points filled in, the whole tulip uh, is uh, defined. So let's look at total depravity or total inability uh, is mainly that the very nature of man has been so affected by original sin that every part of his being is affected by evil. So we start from the premise that all of mankind from birth is corrupt, thoroughly corrupt, by the fall. We inherit from Adam a nature that is fatally infected by sin. All of it. Um, doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could ever be, but it does mean that we're infected. We're imperfect in, in all those areas. The body, the mind, the emotions, the conscience, and the will. Especially when we talk about salvation, we're looking at the will. Um, number two, un unconditional election is the eternal, sovereign, unmerited, and immutable decree of God, all great words to use at your next party, whereby, according to the wise counsel of his own will and for his own glory, he has selected for himself some individual sinners from among all mankind and of every nation to be redeemed and everlastingly saved by Christ. And that's the sticking point for a lot of people. What does the and remember? We talked about this. We talked about it in terms of the actions of each person of the Trinity. And so, unconditional election, we would probably favor uh, more uh, as being the, the role of the Father in choosing a people carved out of fallen humanity to be redeemed and everlastingly saved by Christ. So, limited atonement would be the work of Christ in salvation, the uh, redemptive work of Christ. That was definite in design and accomplishment. He meant to do something. He meant to accomplish something. He wasn't just dying as an example. It wasn't dying as, you know, a possibility or potential salvation. But he died with purpose. It was not intended to make salvation possible for every man, but actually to accomplish salvation for the elect. And then we have irresistible grace, which is the role, or we'd say favors the role of the Holy Spirit also called effectual calling, is God's gracious work in which He, according to His eternal purpose and electing grace, 
powerfully subdues the sinner's rebellion, causing him to turn to Christ in genuine faith and earnest repentance. And so again, those are the, that's the work of the Trinity in bringing us to faith in Christ. Once we get there, how do we know we'll stay? Well, thanks be to God, He continues working, right? <laughs> and so we have in perseverance of the saints, the, the work of the triune God on our behalf to keep us kept, so to speak. Uh, perseverance of the saints, when we say that, uh, when we talk about perseverance of the saints, we mean that all of those who are truly united to Christ in saving faith will persevere in faith and holiness to the end. And remember that we saw, uh, when, lo those many moons ago, when we talked about perseverance, we saw that both are applicable here. Faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Perseverance is absolutely necessary. You have to keep pursuing Christ to the end, right? That's, pursue holiness without which no one sees the Lord. That's the, that's the mandate we're given. And yet, it's also absolutely certain. He is faithful and just to complete that which He started. It's a work of God, and that work drives us to keep working. We work because He's working in us, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So there's two sides of that. We work because He's working. Uh, one mistake of this uh, says that perseverance is ideal but not the norm, right? Um, it, it's, it's a good thing to strive for, you know. Jesus uh, became my Savior before He became my Lord, that kind of stuff. It's a good thing to strive for, to make Him your Lord. That's a good thing, but that's for super Christians. No, that's not, what, that's not what Scripture teaches. It says that perseverance is necessary. It has to be done. Um, we saw last time that perfection is the ideal. We strive for looking like Jesus, to being conformed to His image. But perseverance, the striving, that's the norm for every true believer in Christ. All right, so we've been doing this thing each time. It didn't start with Calvin. These doctrines did not start with Calvin. So let's look at this statement from, and I love this guy, uh, Lactantius? I don't, Lactantius? I don't know. Ask Philip how to say that guy's name. Um, AD 320, he says, Virtue is perpetual without any intermission, nor can it depart from him who has once received it. So a nod to the continuing work of virtue in the heart of the believer. Augustine says this, and I spelled his name with an E. Augustine, AD 370, said, Of these believers, no one perishes because they were all elected. And they were elected because they were called according to the purpose. The purpose, however, not their own, but God's. Obedience, then, is God's gift. To this, indeed, we are not able to deny that perseverance in good, progressing even to the end, is also a great gift of God. So he sees perseverance as being the work of God and the heart of the believer. All right, so some objection. Uh, one objection is Calvinism teaches perfectionism. Calvinism teaches perfect. What is perfectionism? When we say perfectionism, what does that mean? No more sin. No more sin. You get to a place of complete holiness in life. Your chi is totally working, and, and you are perfect without sin, and you've achieved that. You know what? That's funny that that gets thrown at Calvinists because that's generally an Arminian idea. 
Wesley. 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 I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> Who would have said? I could have asked the question. <laughs> I'll take Wesley for 200, Alex. Um, Wesley taught this idea of perfectionism. You can attain a level of holiness uh, that, that and, and should attain a level of holiness through methods of working and, and all of that. Um, it can... That idea confuses the doctrine of perseverance. That's not what we mean when we say perseverance. No historic Calvinist has ever taught perfectionism. Usually it's an Arminian thing. But biblical perseverance teaches what? What is, it, what is the experience of our daily walk? What, is it, what does biblical perseverance teach us? Do we sin? Absolutely. And are still persevering? Absolutely. You, you remain steadfast in the highs and in the lows. Okay. Drive you forward constantly. Continually obey and put your faith in Christ, no matter the external circumstances. So there's a there's a there's a uh, there's an obedience that's just the hum of the heart, right? Is that is that it? So the highs and the lows, circumstances may change, but we remain obedient. Is that perseverance? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm asking because because obedience uh, obedience in what way obedience in what way because I yes ultimately you're right maintaining faith in Christ ultimately you're right but do we always maintain that I mean aren't there times that you've gone through where it's like what's the point where something where you 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 willingly choose sin. And then there's this, am I even saved, or what's the point of this, or why I fuss over this stuff? Do y'all, is it just me? It teaches you about the grace of God. It teaches you okay. godly character as you learn to endure. So, so there's the, there's the um, when I stumble, for the true believer, what does that do to the heart? What, where does that put us? It drives you to Christ. It should drive us to Christ, right? Humility. Definitely, maybe. That's also one of those things that you kind of go up and down on is humility. What? Why? Immediately? Not necessarily. Um, hey, welcome, college student. <laughs> um, is that immediate? I mean, you sin and immediately you fall to your knees and repent. You should. You should. Do you? I mean, David. Do do does it not? Well, David didn't. How long was that? The the estimation is about a year. Really? Because a baby was born. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> it's about a year. Um, have you ever had a period of of uh, of backsliding? I mean, do we use that term, backsliding? Uh, I mean, you know where you're just not really wanting to read your Bible. You're pursuing some stuff that maybe... Perseverance does not say that you maintain this level of... Um, all, that, that, that you just maybe... You, you talk meanly to somebody sometime and, and then, you, then you repent and then you move on. I mean, perseverance has in it the idea that sometimes Christians really blow it. And badly. And sometimes, uh, some have said, and, and I agree with this, that you sin 
in more heinous ways sometimes after your conversion than before. How is that consistent with perseverance? Is that true? I mean, will we say David is an example? We brought up David. That's murder and rape is kind of a thing. You don't want to. <laughs> that's kind of a heinous sin for a guy that's a man after God's own heart to commit. True. That's true. There, every every sin is a, is an internal affront to the eternal glory of God. That's true. Well, yes. I, I, I often think rape is worse than. Why is that? Why would rape? Why would rape be worse than just lust of the heart? It's just the outward expression of it. Okay. It it's the consequences, right? But all sin. It does, but are there degrees of effect? Absolutely. Wolf whistling is one thing. Rape is quite a different thing, right? Um, and we're just putting in the most stark terms to make the point. There are consequences to our actions. And yet Christians have done stuff that's pretty consequential. And yet what does perseverance, the perseverance of the saints, teach us? You can go, there, there are times that have, you've gone dark, right? And yet, if you're truly in Christ, what, what's the, what is the promise of the text? Bring you back. Why? Because you're so awesomely awesome. Because you're His. And where does that put the faithfulness? In Him. In Him. In His name. Perseverance looks toward the... Pro In Hebrews, it says, God who does not lie. He, he swears... He could swear by nothing greater than Himself. So He swore to Abraham an oath under His own name. By my own name, I'll make this happen. It's the same kind of idea... With well, it is the same idea with perseverance. Um, all right, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints teaches that backsliding is only temporary. After a season, God renews the backslider. A true Christian never permanently or perpetually stays in sin. That's impossible biblically. Those who fall away and die in their sins give evidence that the work of grace has never occurred in their hearts. All right. We have textual issues with what I just said. We have things that cause pause in the dark recesses of the night and keep you up and give you nosebleeds, put you in the fetal position in the corner. And they often involve Hebrews. I don't know why. <laughs> Let's look at Hebrews 3.6. It says, but Christ is faith... Well, yeah. Um, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Look at Hebrews 3.14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I don't like those conditional clauses. They bother me. 
look at uh, look at First Corinthians fifteen one and two. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. And then he really makes it complicated. Unless you believed in vain, I don't like that. <laughs> Let's work on a translation that gets rid of those. <laughs> what, about, uh, what about Colossians 1, 21 through 23? And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Well, I'm liking that. If, <laughs> indeed... You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. What do you mean, if indeed you stay? Is there a possibility that I not stay stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that I... What does that mean? Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What do we do with that? If, 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 unless, unless... What do you do with it? And that's just a few. There are others. Does that create in us, does that show us a possibility of not persevering? Does that cause you pause? How do you deal with that? You place more faith in Jesus that he saved, that his work on the cross applied to me, and that through means of grace and such, we, we grow and we become more and more like him. That's true. We've got to keep moving. Makes us work harder. It should. Pray harder. That, that makes us work harder. Pray harder. Yes. But is it enough? If. Do you see what I'm saying? That causes me pause. That causes a lot of people to say, well, we just can't. We, perseverance is necessary, but it's not guaranteed. It's not certain. What do you do with that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, we'll just cut those out. That's the way it works. We'll go to Andy Stanley on it and start doing, applying Andy Stanley policy to the New, the New Testament. One of the, one of the fun... Go ahead, I'm sorry. As a believer, reading that, it should kind of cause you pause to think, am I persevering? Am I doing these things? And pray and read and study and try to... It's cold water to the face, isn't it? it it's, it's i got to wake up. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. That's exactly right. And yet, what confidence do I have that I'm that I can? I mean, does it does it put the burden on me? Doesn't the if and the and the unlesses put the burden on me? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for your pleasure. That's good. I'm glad that I'm glad that second part is in there. This causes me pause. One of the fundamental principles that we have in biblical interpretation is that what is clear interprets what's cloudy, right? The things that are, that are rock-solid, direct statements, when you see that and you come on a passage that's like, what? The, if it's, you know, when they're talking about the same thing, you can't just willy-nilly, oh, this was, you have to look at the context of it. You apply that to things that maybe you can take a couple of different ways, and if, it, if the, one of the ways contradicts what's clear, well, we find a way to harmonize. Because it's one book. It's one author. 
and he doesn't, he's not in conflict with himself, right? So biblical interpretation says, take what is clear and apply it to what's cloudy. Go ahead. When you said, what do we do with these, I was just going to say, read John 17. <laughs> I know that sounds about no. it. Like, in fact, I, all those you give me, I will. Yeah. None of them, you know, they're mine. Yeah. You know. That's that's one. <laughs> right. Very rock solid, clear statement. <laughs> and we go back to that. Um, I like this one too, Philippians 1 6. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Where does that put my trust? My if, my unless. Or his finished work. Right? That's the clear statement. Um, Romans 8, 28, 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. It's going to happen. Conformed to the image of his son, or that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's a clear statement. John 10. It's in red, so it's really inspired. That is a joke. I hope y'all realize I joke when I say that. I mean, there are people that believe that. I am totally kidding. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Um, no one means no one. Including themselves. Including themselves. He holds on to my faith. Because I'd screw it up. In half. But he, th he holds on to it. No one can snatch your faith out of the Son's hand. No one can snatch your faith out of the Father's hand, and He seals it by the work of His Holy Spirit to bring you back to repentance and faith in Jesus. Those are the clear passages. So when we see these unclear things of if, unless, that's the apostles and that's the writers talking about on the ground what we see. People doing this, people doing that. And they're warning passages to keep us in His hand, right? to display the mercy and the, the, the warning passages are actually great mercy to us because it, it gets the conscience where it needs to be. Um, so when we see that if you hold on text, these are the sticks that, that whack us to wake us up, right? Uh, you, you must pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You will pursue holiness because no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand or out of Christ's hand, not even, not even you. All right, so that's generally how I view, and I think I'm in good company, view these warning texts. But there's a really big stick in Scripture, a really big one. It is a tree. It's Hebrews 6. Let's look at Hebrews 6. Oh, we are. We are. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read 1 through 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works 
and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So maturity, moving on, is at the permission of God, right? Is that what he's, that's that's the, set, the setting for the next few statements. For it is impossible, oh Lord, <laughs> in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word and of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. What? What do you do with that? He may not permit maturity. What are the characteristics of this person who falls away and is, and is hardened and can't repent? What, what are the, there's four characteristics I, I see. You may see some others. What does it say? Verses uh, 4 and 5, I think. What, what's, the, what's a characteristic of this guy? This hypothetical once person. Been once been enlightened. What does that mean, once been enlightened? Shown the gospel. Shown the true way. Okay. Displayed. Understanding of godly things. They've, they've been shown the gospel. They've been shown the beauty of Christ, right? Um, uh, I think in Corinthians it talks about how the, the unbelievers are blinded by the God of this world uh, uh, and are unable to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ or, or the light of glory of God in, in Christ. There's a, there's a darkness. And they've been pointed to the gospel, this, this hypothetical person that the author of Hebrews, Apollos, is talking about, right? What's another characteristic? So enlightenment, they've been pointed to, they see the God, they under, there's some understanding of the glory of God. What's another one? Tasted the heavenly gift. Tasted the heavenly gift, which is what? What do you think heavenly gift is? Salvation. Salvation? I think that's a fair, a fair assessment. Eternal life. Eternal life, they've tasted of it. And it's more than just knowledge here, this tasting, right? Uh, there's experiencing of it. It's more than mere knowledge of food or even liking the look of it. But is it digestion? <laughs> it's a tasting of it. It's a tasting of it. Does it transform the tongue? Is that what he said? No, transform over time. Over time. Okay. I, 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 the next one that gets you. Yeah, exactly. What is the next one? Shared the Holy Spirit. Shared the Holy Spirit. Shared in the Holy Spirit. What is going on there? Is it, is it possible these are Hebrew people who um, have sacrificed in the temple their entire lives and then the gospel is presented to them and they see the power, they understand it, they're running with Christians because Christians are teaching in the temple mm -hmm. alongside mm -hmm. the Jewish Pharisees and, yep. and whatever. And then they, they've seen that, they've heard the gospel, they've seen... Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and all that kind of thing, and then they're moving back into the sacrificial system, back into the law, back into old ways. It's easier. That way the Jerusalem authorities won't harass us as much, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the context of the book. Is It's written to Hebrews. 
Um, and it's written to guys who've come out of Judaism and it's just getting hard and they're going, they're, they, they're trending backwards. That's the idea. But. They walked through the Red Sea and then built a golden path. Right. That, that's, yes. But it, is it just apply to Hebrews? I mean, the, the, the principles here don't just apply to the, the Jews, right? I mean, shared in the Holy Spirit is still a big statement. And it's more than mere knowledge. It's an experiencing of the, the Holy Spirit. The, the, the idea there in the original language is it, the comrades. Is there an idea of, of, being, of participating with the other people in the church? I think so. On a regular and continuous basis. I think so. I think that I think that's what he's talking about is that communal living of uh, of, of believers. What's the fourth thing? Mine says tasted the good work of God and the powers of the age to come. Okay, so uh, uh, mine has tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Incidentally, is he tasting the word of God? There are effects of the gospel, right? Absolutely. There are community effects. I mean, when done right, it's very attractive to be in a community of Christians. You want to be there. Best it's you now. What's that? The best you now. The best you now. No, not that one. <laughs> Different community. I'm talking about Christian community. Um, so, so you have, you have benefits of a community that's living under the grace of Christ, who who is. Striving for humility, striving for—I mean, those are things that we, you know, those are good things. That's the goodness that we taste of, right? Um, like. All right, there, 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 there is. Since you're going down that road, there's an interesting thing about tasting a dish, right? <laughs> Versus. Versus devouring a dish. So Nathaniel, uh, when he sits down at the table, and Tammy is she's a wonderful cook, and she'll make yes. veggie tables, right? You'll, you'll make veggie tables for, for, for us to eat. And he's, I don't like that. And so what's the plea of the parent with the child who refuses to eat the veggie tables? <laughs> oh, there's that. You don't get dessert. Take two bites. Take two bites and taste it. Just taste it. Just see if you like it. We do. We do the uh, Pascal's wager on the on the vegetables. You know, <laughs> just just try it and see if you like it. And it's the face, the scrunchy face happens. He puts the broccoli, it takes the broccoli and puts it in its mouth. He puts the broccoli in his mouth. He puts the broccoli in and he's just like, or, or it's cab or, or, or Brussels sprouts or whatever. And, and immediately, the, the, I mean, it's amazing how the gag reflex is attached to the tip of the tongue, you know? Immediately immediately wants to get it out. Can I get some ice cream just to get this taste out of my... He tastes it, but he doesn't love it. He tastes it, but he rejects it. I think that's the idea here. And, the, and, and so there's this toe in the water 
some, some benefits of the gospel, some benefits to the community of Christians, and there's a tasting of the goodness of the word, but I don't want to live there. I don't want to put myself in a place to where I'm, I'm having to change or be held accountable. I like, I like the fact that you know, the music's nice and the, the people are generally happy people, but I don't want to live there. Um, I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a stupid analogy with the Nathaniel and the, and the, and the, and the, and the cabbage. But, but what is born out through life shows the status of the heart. And I think that's where the author of Hebrews is going here. Because the next verses continue with this hypothetical. Uh, if you look at verse 7, it says, For the land that has drunk the rain often, that, that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. So the rain comes in, and the land produces fruit. Who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So the only person that we have to thank for any goodness that comes from the rain we drink in, of the goodness of the Word, of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, of those kinds of things, is God's increase. But there's also land that also drinks in the rain. And in verse 8, he says, bears thorns and thistles. Right? Yeah. The parable of the sower. Yeah. Because yeah. there was stuff that was sown on the rocks and it came up. But when the sun came out, it dried up and it withered and died. Right. The other, the weeds came up and choked it out. Right. Both, it grew. Yeah. It choked out and died quickly. Yeah, and, and, and here it's the same thing, the thorns and thistles. What does thorns and thistles remind you of, incidentally? The fall. The fall. Isn't that what came up out of the ground? God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. Thorns and thistles come out from the fall. And it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Drinking from the same water. Protect, tasting the same water. And yet, what what is produced? What does that what does that do to what does that put on us? Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That what he's doing here is one. Be earnest. Strive after it. Don't get lazy. Don't don't assume. Don't presume upon the mercies of God. He owes me this. No, don't ever do that. He'll forgive me. I'll do this. And I know I've heard that come out of people's mouths right before they get to commit adultery or, 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 or commit to this relationship. That they're, I mean, we remember that. Yeah. And I know God will. I know this is wrong, but I, th I know God will forgive me. That's thorns and thistles. Same water. But what is the heart expressing? What is what's the character of the land? It's the sower. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The another the other analogy that Jesus used is uh, the tree that does not bear good fruit. That does not bear fruit. Mm -hmm. He curses it and withers and dies. But that tree still was seeded and grew and grew up, and it might have even you know looked good with yeah. green leaves and everything, but it didn't produce fruit. Yeah. So it grew, but then was cursed and died. Yeah, that's right. A um, lot of agricultural references in the New Testament. <laughs> So the, the, the warning here is, uh, is an extreme example of, of don't neglect to cultivate holiness in your heart and presume upon 
the preservation of God. That, that's how we know He's preserving us is because we don't presume upon it. We, we want hearts that are conformed to Jesus. And that's, and that's the key. Have I been transformed? What, am I looking, what is my heart looking like? Right? Yeah. I was going to read a verse that corresponds with this. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Second mm. Peter 2. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, or the sow, sow, yeah, sow, they, after watching herself returns to wallow in the mire. Mm-hmm. So it's, what is that pointing to? It's a warning. It's pointing to the heart again, isn't it? The, what's the language? What state of the person was was a false convert in the beginning? Right, right, and and I think that's again the clear language interprets some some of this cloudy stuff. It points to the the a false convert. Well, maybe maybe looks like a Christian for a while through self effort. You can do a lot of stuff, but you can't maintain it through self effort. It's, there's going to be a break in the shell. Um, all right. <clears throat> the fact that the fact that you want to work is a gift from God. So as we're as we're freaking out over Hebrews six, remember the comfort that we have, and that if the Holy Spirit is is moving the conscience to repent and believe. That's a grace. Be comforted by the grace. The warning passages, in my mind, are great mercy. Because if I'm, if I'm, I'm a little freaked by them, that's a good thing. That, what does that do? It pushes me to the cross, where it's where I need to be anyway. That's mercy. Um, what, look at how he concludes in this, in this little section, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Right? I want to I live in verse 9 for a while after that beatdown. Um, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. It's an ongoing thing. How is it shown? The love that they have for the name of God in service to the saints. Right? What does that show? What does that point to? A bunch of checklist works? Or a heart that is renewed that loves those whom Jesus loves? It's perseverance from the heart, right? I mean, we can do checklist stuff. I mean, we can be here at, you know, 8.55 on Sunday morning for Sunday school. You really want to be a legalist. Be here on Wednesday night, every Friday thing. You can do the checklist stuff. But what's in the heart? Oh, I hate being with these people. I just, I just know I've got to be here, but they'd really annoy me. The guy kicks my chair while I'm sitting down one more time. I'm just going to... I'm going to have to hurt somebody. 
It's from the heart, right? That's what he's pointing to from the heart. He continues, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Why do we persevere? Why do we work? What's the point of that? One, because we want to look like Jesus. Two, you want assurance? Pursue Jesus. Keep pursuing Him. It's when we get off in the weeds that we become weedy and quite needy. <laughs> we become very insecure in who we are in Christ when we're off in the weeds. So that you may not be sluggish. Again, that's why this is cold water of the face. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, you talked about the, the, the tree to cut down, the fig tree, because it wasn't producing fruit. There's a parable in Luke 13, uh, 6 through 9, that Jesus says. It's a real short one. Let me read that real quick. I, I, that, that I kind of thought of the same lines as you did. Um, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. And he says, He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've been seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it. I break up fallow ground. And put on manure. I fertilize it. I feed it. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What does that display? That speaks of the kindness, patience, and mercy of God with our foolishness. There's a, the work that happens in our hearts when we're off in the weeds... And God is calling us back. The Holy Spirit breaks up the foulness in our hearts, causing repentance, getting us tender before the Spirit in conviction. And what does He do? He brings the Word. He brings brothers and sisters in Christ who are calling us to repentance, who are, who are, who are reminding us of what Scripture says about the beauty of Jesus. These are things of breaking up the ground, feeding the tree, and the response after all of that work displays the character of the tree. But he's kind. He's not looking to thump. I think we need to remember that too. He's not looking to thump us. He's working and working. So, in that, Paul calls us to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Like a tree yielding fruit. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and the work that He does. Don't run away from conviction. Fall to the cross immediately, as fast as you can. Get there. <laughs> Stay there. And I'm sure of this that He who began a good work in you will, no if, no unless, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It may be painful. 
It will have ups and downs. But Christ is faithful and is calling us to faithfulness to Him. So, if you're in a state of numbness, don't stay there. Repent. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Press forward, killing sin, loving the saints, and proclaiming Christ to the dying. And get assurance by pressing forward and persevering to the end. Any questions? We have um, 10 minutes. <laughs> Kevin, uh, you were talking about God is not sitting there looking to thump us. And I was thinking about the old covenant. In the law, it was kind of like a, a goad behind, behind us, just kind of waiting for us to misstep or slow down. It was going to stab us. The, the new covenant is more like a carrot out in front of us. Um, he, we love because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. And so the new covenant is all about Christ's love and us running back to him because we love him. He first loved us, saved us, shows us grace, is not waiting to thump us. Yeah. And that that is the carrot. That is what causes us to, to run back to him. Right. Um, yes. Where I would distinguish a little bit on the old covenant is that the character of God has not changed. Absolutely. It's a, different, it's a different way that he was dealing with it to display our unfaithfulness, right? And the necessity of the um, person and work of, of, of Christ. So, but yes, you're right. It's, it, but, but Moses says to the people, the Lord is patient with you. The Lord loves you. That's why he hasn't, uh, was it Amos or... Uh, Jose, the Lord loves you. He calls you so that he, he, he hasn't destroyed you, O Ephraim. <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. So there's, a, so there's a patience of God with his people. But you're right. The Old Covenant was a display of just how unfaithful we are. And that's brought out again and again and again by the prophets. Look, this was the covenant and you've broken it these ten ways. Um. And so that in Christ we see the great mercy of God realized, actualized in time and space because I know I can't keep it. I, I know I'm going to blow it. I want to pursue. I want to keep going. But I, I'm not going to. We don't believe in perfectionism and Scripture doesn't teach perfectionism. So I need a Savior that constantly renews, that is working in me, that's, well, that he's done the finished work and I rest in that, but that under that work I'm being transformed because of his work as I'm working. It's all, you know, a thing. Any, anything else? Comments? Questions? I think some of the, normally, you know, there's the, there's the sediment and there's the water and only when it's you know, turbulence is added and all that sediment comes up to the surface and what you thought was clear water gets all mixed in. The sediment was always there. Mm -hmm. I think the Christian life is very much that way. The more we resist, it shows the true intentions of our heart. Mm -hmm. And the more the devil applies stuff, the more the world applies stuff. And life does get more difficult. Mm -hmm. And a lot, a lot of times that stuff flushes to the surface and life does not get any easier. But that's when, like you're saying, perseverance comes. Mm. And, and, you know, with, with the clear water suddenly being cloudy, if we're going to move with that analogy, then we know what needs to be dipped out. Exactly. And it's very clear what, what has to be cleaned out. And I thought I was really humble until this happened. 
and then I'm, I'm get really displayed how not humble I'm, I, I am, or how I thought I was pure of thought until this happened, and then I displayed how just what a wretch I am, or I thought I was uh, a very calm and peaceful person until something makes me angry, and where did this come from? Two-year-old, uh, you know, there, there's there's always something that will tap you and bring the the sediment to the surface. And again, I go to the cross for the great strainer, the sifter of the Holy Spirit. Let's let's deal with this. Don't hide on. Don't rest on this. Be earnest. Be steadfast. Move forward. If you don't, it's impossible for those who have taken. You know, ha. Huh. So. It's, it's, it's a carrot and a stick to keep us moving forward. Um, all right, any, anything else? Yeah. Six, I'm not super following. Well, he says, uh, we go on to maturity not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works. So he's, he's saying that's like first year. Yeah. Stuff. That's the foundational that stuff. That they should have already done. Remember, he's calling them back. He says, you should be teaching, but I'm having to teach you, is, is kind of the context of that. So he's starting, he's starting from that as the foundational premise of, of things. And then moving on is, is, the, um, is the holiness you know, aspect of it. How does that work out? Mm. That's happening. Not that they need to leave those elementary doctrines. No, he's not saying leave those. Well, yeah. in order to repent, 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 Yeah, I, um, he's. I think that's pointing to. Um, well, it'd probably be good to do a whole lesson on on this, and rather than just the, the fifteen minutes we had here, but. I, I think what he's going at there is the working out of those elementary doctrines in life. That that's the pressing on to maturity. Um, there's, a, there's a deep... Somebody once said you only possess what you experience. And so you're looking at the, 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 the elementary doctrines that he's talking about and then how that applies to me killing sin, right? As you work through that, you get a deeper understanding of the elementary doctrine. So we never, we never abandon the core. I mean, we're not moving on from that to abandon it. We're moving on from that to build on it. I think is a, is that is that what you're asking? Am I misunderstanding completely? No, I think it is. I'm still trying to form a question. Okay, uh, that makes that makes it easier. Because it's, it's just catching off targets and not letting it again. No, I guess again, yeah. A foundation of repentance, uh, but if that foundation is supposed to continue to grow. Yeah, and well, it's not. Okay, I got saved at least three times in my childhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At four, at eight, and then I got baptized again when I was, you know, whatever. So, that's laying again, the foundation. And he's we're not doing that. I guess that's why he's. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're going, it wasn't good enough the first time, let me go again. Well, that's just, that's just assuming that the, the, it wasn't finished. 
We, we have to hold a mass every week to re-crucify him. That's an interesting, that'd be an interesting discussion from an apologetic standpoint, which we may get to eventually. Any, anything else? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's later now. I'll say one other thing. I, I think the church is a huge part of this process. Oh, yeah. In sanctification and in kind of dredging up sin in other people. Sure. You definitely dredge up sin in the church. If you're, yeah. if you're an island, like you're this glass and you got all the sediment at the bottom, and something comes along, maybe a church member or a brother in Christ, and that stuff gets stirred up, you kind of go, that's my sediment. That's a part of me. That's me. Yeah. I was born this way. But you don't really see it unless you're with other people. Right. And you can't necessarily scrape that stuff out yourself. No. And so I think the body of the church and a group of believers is vitally important. I think those are the means by which God uses. Oh, sure. As iron sharpens iron, one yeah. sharpens another. Yeah. And, and that's not always an intentional thing. Right. A lot of time that's, that's a good. nuts. He did what to me? What does that show about my heart? And what does it show about his? Mm -hmm. And we got to figure this out. That's not easy. Um, that's, that's the, that is apologetically for the believer, that's the hardest part about being a Christian. How can people who are Christians act this way to each other sometimes, and how do we persevere through that? I mean, I've been on the receiving and giving end of both of those. It's not, that's, and you probably have too. It's not, that's, a, that's an assurance thing. But I will say, my brother and I got on each other's nerves so bad as we were kids. Mm -hmm. But now he's one of my best friends. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you have that. It's like roommates. Yeah. <laughs> Once you move out. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. There, there's the marriage issue there that you're now like. Oh. <laughs> also, they come away from each other. <laughs> but not. No, okay. I don't think that's what that means, but I think it's time for prayer and fasting. <laughs> All right. We definitely have to. See, I tried to start early. I really did. I just opened the floor, and Carmen's like, oh, he did it again. All right, let's pray. We'll move on. And we'll persevere to the next service. God, we do thank you for your grace, which is new every morning, and we need it so badly. We thank you for the finished work of Christ. We thank you for the seal of your Holy Spirit that calls us to repentance. God, I pray that for those of us who are in the weeds that are feeling numb and not wanting to be a part of the community or be in our Bibles or are just um, bitter about praying, don't want to even pray because of the heaviness of the heart with sin or with, or with sadness or, or with hurt, God, that you by your Spirit would do a work in our hearts to draw us back to first principles, <laughs> that you would push us to build on those, that you and your great mercy have taken rebels and made them friends, and that you Love us with a love that will not let us go. And are calling us to reciprocate from the heart. Would you give us hearts that love you faithfully as you love us faithfully? 
And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <laughs> Me too.